Last week, we had a guest on that dove deep into tires. We learned a lot with it. And one of the real important things we learned was how much tire pressure affects your ride. Well, as promised, this week, we have something for you that's going to make checking that tire pressure not only fun, but it's going to make your ride safer by being able to tell exactly what pressure you have in each tire with nothing more than a glimpse. Also, a bulging 400 kilogram or 800 pound plus adventure bike that's prepping its rider, a 60-year-old grandmother, for world travel. Coming up today, I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Okay, before we get going, I want to thank some sponsors that helped bring this episode of Adventure Rider Radio to you. The first one is Max BMW Motorcycles. They've been doing it since 2002. That's Outfitting Adventure Riders. And they have got a load, I mean the full load of parts and accessories online that they can ship to your door. You order online. It's a great way to get your parts. MaxBMW.com. Get their e-rider newsletter. It's free. MaxBMW.com. That's M-A-X-B-M-W.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear, making American-made heavy-duty innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using the strapping system. Um, Great system. As a matter of fact, all the stuff they make is super tough. I've tried tons of it myself. The website, greenchiliadv.com. That's greenchiliadv.com. Best Rest Products is where the number one tire pump in the business for us motorcyclists comes from. It's called the Cycle Pump, made in the USA, has lifetime warranty. They also distribute the Google Tech filters for North America. The website, cyclepump.com. That's Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. Sam Manning, Ted Simons, Dustin Vance, Robert Schwartz, Nathan Millwall, Simon Payne, Raymond Coach, Stroud, Brad Johnson, Thank you. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Well, I hope you caught last week's episode that we did on tires. If not, I highly recommend you go back and listen. We had uh, tire expert TJ Tennant on the show. We got a bunch of great information about tires. Most of it was information that you're not finding anywhere else. But anyway, so if you didn't think tire pressure was important before, hopefully with that episode, you realize just how critical the correct tire pressure is for our motorcycles and how how each pound makes such a difference. Well, monitoring that tire pressure can be kind of a pain in the butt, depending on the bike you have and the access to your valve stem. That whole thing of kneeling down and undoing the cap and, and checking it with your gauge and putting the cap back on, it can be a pain. And I'm sure you've probably done what I've often done is just kick the tires and see that there's pressure in them. It doesn't tell you a bunch. It tells you that yeah, there's, there's a reasonable amount of pressure in there. And, and I mean, our mindset, you know, is understandable. Today, everything is easy for us. I mean, you probably have one of those devices at home where you can tell it to dim the lights by 60% and it'll do it automatically for you. I'm sure that saves a lot of work having to get up and turn the knob. Or the, or the map apps that we ask for directions. We can search the internet by audio, with, with our phone, I mean, just so many things. So it's understandable how checking that tire pressure, well, kind of gets forgotten about, maybe conveniently. Well, there is a way to tell exactly what pressure you're running every time you get on your bike. And here's the secret. TPMS. TPMS is Tire Pressure Monitoring System. It's um, basically, there's a screen that you mount to your handlebars or somewhere where you can see it that displays your air pressure as you ride. But these units go further than that by including built-in audible and visual alarms. Now, this is great because if your tire pressure drops below the minimum threshold, the alarm sounds and the light flashes. Furthermore, if your tire has a sudden pressure drop, even if it hasn't met that, that minimum threshold, it will sense that it's losing air and it will give you the alarm, the sound, and the flash again. This could save you a get-off. It could save you destroying a tire. It lets you see exactly what's going on between you and the road at all times. Many new cars come with this, this feature stock, but for motorcycles, not so much. And with motorcycles, knowing your tire pressure, I think is far more important than a car. A car has four tires. The bike only has two. We have very, very tiny contact patches that hit the road. Also, the way heat affects our tires as motorcyclists, obviously all tires will heat up, but it has a much greater effect on motorcycles. And as we learned last week, just the squishing of the sidewalls as the tire rolls around and the friction on the road, 
heats up the tires, which actually makes them get to their operating temperature. But by running them underinflated, they can go beyond their operating temperature and then you run into trouble where tires start to come apart or create all kinds of problems. Not to mention the handling problems that you get from an underinflated tire. This is all affects your ride. Now, one of the great things about these TPMS devices is, I think, their simplicity. The aftermarket ones, they have these screw-on caps. They're the sensors. They go on where your, your cap for your valve stem would go. And then they have the readout that gives you the pressure for each tire in real time. That's great. Now, we tried out two different types, or what we considered two different types of TPMS units. The first one is from a company called Cyclops, an American company. They specialize in high-quality lighting. The other one is from a company called Fit2Go, and it's a UK-based company that makes a product licensed through Michelin. Now, both these units display tire pressure in real time, but I think the big difference between the two and the reason we looked at these two is that the Cyclops version is hardwired in, so you don't ever have to worry about the battery being charged. You don't ever have to worry about the unit. It's always on your bike. Fire up your bike, and you see what's going on immediately. But it's also semi-permanent on the bike, which means that it's, the display sits on your bike, so it can be attractive. The other unit that's made by Fit2Go, the company out of the UK, has a battery-operated unit that, that sits on your dash, and it drops into a little magnetic holder. Now, the nice thing about this unit is that if you park somewhere, you don't want to leave anything on your bike, you just lift this thing out of its magnetic base and put it in your pocket. So that's where the two really differ. I'm Daryl Van Neuenhouse, CEO of Cyclops Adventure Sports, uh, located in Kent, Washington. Daryl, how do I say your last name again? Van Neuenhouse. Van Neuenhouse. It's not as it's yeah. not as difficult as it looks. It, it, it's not. You know, 15 letters. When I was in the in the Air Force, I had two name tags and uh, got razzed about that quite a bit. But uh, you know, it 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 looks a lot harder than what it is. You had two separate name tags pinned on. Absolutely, two they, two tags. So you know, any of those. Uh, any of those TIs or whatever would see me all the way across the field. And of course, they're going to call out anybody that's different. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet that is. And it's been probably growing up the same thing. Oh, yeah. The alphabet. You are the, the CEO of Cyclops Adventure Sports. You're the guy who started it. I, I assume it's you and your wife that runs it? Uh, it is. Um, we've been a team. We, uh, you know, I started back just almost 20 years ago. Um, and we started off. Uh, in our garage. Um, for many years, we were, we were working in the garage and I was working another job um, up until about oh, maybe seven years ago or so uh, when we finally got, finally got enough ahead to where I was able to leave my job as a tool maker and go full time. And then um, it's just grown, grown steadily since then. What was it that made you decide to start the company? What, did you come up with a product? Uh, exactly. I, I've been a lifelong rider. I started riding when I was about four years old, um, 56 now. So I'd always been, been a dirt biker. And um, I bought my first, oh, in 02, I bought my first motorcycle uh, dirt bike anyway with a headlight. So I thought, I'm going to go out night riding on all these trails that I enjoy during the daytime. And I got out there and I realized real quick that I could not see anything. Hmm. Um, it, it was quite an experience, actually. So uh, while I was out there, I, I just had the idea that I needed a light on my head to see around these corners and trees and drop-offs and whatnot. And uh, well, I need a light on my head. So I started looking around. And at that time, there were some bicycle lights that were were helmet mounted, and I bought one of those and put it on, and and that was an improvement, but it wasn't near enough light to to carry the speeds that we wanted to ride at. Um, so since I was a toolmaker, I just took a block of clay basically and went out and found a, a good track light bulb that I liked and modeled a light around this this track light bulb, put a cord on it, and ran it on my bike and hey it worked so uh i refined that a little bit and myself and a friend started riding on all these local trails uh other people started seeing us doing this and had interest in the in the helmet light that we'd made and he asked me 
if I could make them one. So I made a couple and then uh, somehow got the crazy idea I was going to build a business out of that, uh, which which was an ins- insanely crazy idea because you don't build a business on one product. Mm-hmm. I know that now. Um, <laughs> and uh, I went for it. Uh, you know, the next thing I know, I've got uh, Travis Pastrana, Team Suzuki, knocking on our door looking for setups for the Baja 1000. And that's really what kicked us off into uh, getting into the 24-hour racing and um, going down that road of, of actually building a, building a legit business out of the company. So it wasn't that big of a stretch for you to make the, the product itself because you, it's something you already knew, taking the piece of clay and, and figuring out what you want to make. Absolutely. And then that was just the first, you know, it was just a, just a starting point to see if it would work. From there, I made real tools. And for a while, we were making absolutely everything in our, in our home. Um, I actually destroyed my, one of my houses uh, doing so. We would make the blister packages. We made the molds for the parts. We made the parts, did all the assembling, everything, just myself and my wife. Uh, and it was it was quite a task, and you know we ate top ramen for many years doing so uh, because there just flat out wasn't any money. Um, so I'm, I'm real thankful those days are over and we were able to survive that. Not not only as a company, but as as husband and wife. Yeah, it's it's funny because it's always the the um, well the glory part when you look at what you what you're doing now. People say, "Oh, entrepreneur, look at he's done so well," but um, it's all that buildup that nobody sees, and we don't talk a lot about. Oh man, it it, it was brutal looking back on it. It, uh, it it really was something, and something I'm really proud of that we're still here and and we're able to get some sort of success out of it. This original light you did for the for the helmet, the helmet light. How did you power that? You run a wire down your back or something? At at first, I was running it right off the battery of the KTM 520s, the bike that I had. Um, so I had a cord that ran down my back with a quick disconnect, and it went to the battery. Um, ran that system for several years until we found batteries that were small enough. The, the problem we had was the light that we were using pulled a lot of power. It was a 50 watt light. So you can't, at that time, there wasn't a lot of batteries that you could power with it. So um, we eventually got into some nickel metal hydride batteries. We were making those ourselves, putting the cells together. Um, and then finally, as technology changed, LHID came out, we were able to switch, switch to lithium batteries, which were half the size, half the weight, and, and much more power. And then now that we've got the LED stuff, uh, you know, the, the power, power pull isn't such a big deal anymore. Where, where does the HID fit in with LED now? I mean, is HID sort of history at this point? It, absolutely, at least in my mind. I mean, it's, it was... Uh, it was a great step up from halogen. Um, it it came associated with some problems, uh, but it, it really did fit itself well to the helmet. What we were doing at that time was the helmet light. Um, but yeah, in today's world, HID is pretty much a thing of the past, at least in motorcycle lighting. We're going to talk about your tire pressure monitoring system, but but before we do it, I just obviously you're you're big into lighting. You've got um, LED replacements for stock motorcycles. Yes, sir. Uh, LED replacement bulbs, which which I'm happy to say we just received uh, TUV and E E mark ratings on one of the very few LED bulbs in the world that have that uh, certification. What are those? Uh, TUV and E13 are. Um, certifications uh, done in Europe, which actually is the is the strictest in the world um, for anti glare um, performance. That type. there's several different things that go into it, but that's tested by a third party, and it has to pass those strict uh, regulations for people to run the bulbs or or any lights in Europe. Um, here in America, we've got DOT ratings, uh, Canada as well, um, and those are, are relatively lax compared to TUV or EMARC. Now, I know I'm getting sidetracked here, but, but just so you can just unplug your, your regular bulb, your stock bulb, and plug in an LED replacement. The reason I ask that is because there's, there was a, a lot of talk, I know, at one point about the reflectors not being designed for LED. Uh, absolutely. That, that was very, very true. When we first started doing the LED bulbs, um, often we would see light scatter. 
uh, it really depended on the reflector that the bulb was going in. Some would work great, others wouldn't work at all. Um, and we just kept working on it, refining the product, looking at different reflectors, looking at the halogen bulbs we were replacing, what's the difference, why weren't we able to get the, the nice crisp beam patterns that we were looking for. Um, we're on right now our, let's see, our seventh, eighth generation of bulbs. And now we're seeing that in almost everything, not only have we made the size smaller, but we're seeing those nice crisp um, cutoff lines that are so important so you're not blinding on coming riders. Mm. Uh, so we're not throwing a lot of scatter out. Um, it, it really does work. Uh, there's certainly a lot of people that still feel it don't, does not. But I think those are mostly riders that really haven't seen um, a high-quality LED bulb like what we're producing. Well, there are a lot of cheap ones on the market that you see people put in, and they're the ones that blind you when they come the opposite direction. People often put them in vehicles. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, we see that same thing on modern cars. Um, for instance, I've got a new Chevy truck. I get flashed all the time. Um, yeah, because they're so bright. They're incredible. Even though they've got a sharp cutoff line, they're so in intense. Absolutely. And you say you're coming up over a ridge or whatnot, then you're losing your aim uh, that the lights are set up for. Um, and that and that aim and that cutoff line in low beam is absolutely critical. But I think a lot of people really still are not used to seeing that all the way across the board. So when I drive my brand new stock Chevy truck and I'm getting flashed, I'm going like, this thing's completely stock. Uh, what's going on here? And that's that's kind of what I've I've come to uh, figure is that they're you know they are bright, no doubt about it. Um, and I think there's just a lot of, a lot of the public that really has not got completely used to it, but they're going to because that's the direction everything's going to go. Now, um, so lighting is really your main thing, isn't it? It is. It's it's how we got our start. We're uh, We've been working hard to um, develop relationships and make sure that what we're producing is is absolutely the best we can. Um, going forward, we're we're doing a little bit more rally stuff. Uh, for instance, my son just competed in the Sonora Rally, uh, and we're we're going down that road a little bit of retrofitting uh, dirt bikes and adventure bikes into. Um, adventure light bikes with rally kits and uh and all those accessories that go with that as well as doing installs here in, the, in our in our kent uh washington location and you know we may get into some hard parts in the future but uh absolutely elect electrical stuff is our forte well you also make a tpms for motorcycles um what is it and, and how did you decide to well, make this that is a product that really is dear to my heart. Um, I have wrecked two motorcycles in my life by going down due to a flat front tire, um, instant flats. One time I hit a chuck hole. Um, I was riding my Harley at that time. I hit a chuck hole, bent the wheel. It instantly went flat, uh, threw me into, into, I was just going into a corner, threw me down into the, into the Jersey barrier. Um, you know, I might have had a few seconds warning, but things might have been different. Um, and another time I had pretty close to the same incident where I had, I was running with a low front tire, didn't realize it, and I peeled the tire off the wheel um, and went down because of that. So when I started seeing uh, tire pressure monitoring systems in the, in the modern cars, and I was going like, well, that that's an awfully good idea based on my experiences. And I just kept looking for something that was existing in the market that would work on motorcycles. Um, I found it and I got that product uh, and I found some shortcomings on it. Um, it was battery powered and had some other issues, but, but it worked and it gave me a better sense of mind when I was out there riding my bike, you know, but all myself and my wife would, would go camping on our, on our adventure bikes at that time we were riding and still do actually KTM nine nineties. Um, we would, uh, 
get packed up. You know, I'm a little bit lax on, on maybe the maintenance I should do every time I get on the bike. And I wouldn't think about my tires till we're both barreling down some windy mountain road. And then I realized, wow, I forgot to check my tires this morning. And I've got my wife on the back of this thing with all of our luggage from camping. Um, so it really, it, it, it really hit home um, that some way to monitor the tire tire pressure on the bikes would be a really good idea. Uh, so that's kind of where it all started. And then after we got the product, saw, saw where there were some issues, we worked to refine it, um, actually worked with that company um, and ended up going like, hey, let's, let's just take this on as our own product. So that's what we've done. And honestly, I, I've got it on all my bikes and I, I don't care if somebody buys our product or buys a competitor. It is absolutely a can be a life saver. I know that mine's uh, mine's kept me from crashing at least twice since I've been using them, which is about probably about four years now. Well, I know for me, I mean, I, I wasn't all that excited about a, a tire pressure monitoring system. I thought, you know, I do pretty well with kicking the tire before I go, before I get on the bike. Mm-hmm. But but I'll tell you something. This one that you sent me to try out, um, I put it on the bike and I rode out my driveway and it starts beeping at me about my front tire being low. And I had no idea the front tire was that low. So I had to turn around and come right back in. I thought there's something wrong at first. And then I realized, no, my my tire is down, I think it was down seven pounds from what it should have been in the front. And all of a sudden, I just, wow, that was was my initial impression was that it just changed my thought process on this. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, my experience as well. What I find really interesting when I'm riding, I can actually see the tire tires go up and down in both pressure and heat, depending on how hard I'm riding, what type of surface I'm riding, and that type of thing. And, and it really makes you think about your tires, something that I never really thought about in the past. Um, how, how just your riding activity and the way you're riding, if you're aggressive, if you're spinning your rear wheel on a dirt road or, or whatever you might be doing, uh, how you can affect your tire, um, temperatures, which then directly affect how the tire tires need to perform. Um, but the biggest thing for me is, is that instant failure. Um, and knowing if you say you pick up a nail, uh, you're going to know that before you come to a, either either go past a spot where maybe it would have been convenient to change it or where you get to a spot where it's low enough to where you can have a crash or something like that due to it. Um, and, and like I say, I know that since I've installed them on my bikes, it's, it's saved me a couple of times. Um, I tend to get a lot of flat tires, especially on the 990. I do a lot of heavy off-road, full gear up. And, you know, we only carry one tube on the bike other than the one that's in there. And if I'm out for a day and I've got two or three flats, well, now I'm running with patch tubes. And I've had at least one instance where I've peeled that patch off going down the freeway uh, because of heat or whatever. I, I assume it was because of heat. Peeled the patch off and I got that alert pulled over no problem just you know was able to fix the tire without any issues well let's talk about the system itself um the what what is unique i think with your system or what is interesting about your system and and i tried one other as well is that your system is wired in why wired instead of uh, a battery absolutely and that's one of the main changes that we did um you know i and i think that comes from my personal stuff i don't like to have to mess with things don't like to uh, charge up my, say, like my communicator on my helmet and all that stuff. I always forget. So I go to go ride and I go, oh, man, no, no, I, I forgot to charge up my Senna uh, or something like that. That uh, So I go without it for that day. So that that right off the bat was a no-go for, for me. So it has got to be powered from the bike so that there's never a situation where that battery's dead. Um, so that, that's where that all came from. I just didn't believe, and I still don't, that, uh, that type of product should be ran off batteries and display. Mm. You do have to use batteries in the sensors, but they, they last quite a while. You mentioned in there, it shows the temperature as well. How's it measuring the temperature? 
Uh, it measures the temperature actually from the air that's inside the tube. It's, it's not the outer tread, but it's amazing how much that air and how quick it will heat up or cool down. Um, so it's all coming from the air that's inside the tire. So we're we're talking about a small uh, the, the small unit which is the actual display which is what what is it like two inches by two inches? Uh, yeah, it's it's somewhere around there, maybe a little bit smaller, but that sounds pretty close. Now the the tire pressure monitor itself, the little device that that transmits via radio signal to this device, screws on to the valve stem. Can you tell me how that works? Well, absolutely. It's got a. Uh, it's got a device in there that the battery will not be triggered until the bike is moving. Um, so just sitting there in your garage, it's not going to kill your batteries that are in your sensor. We've got to get up to oh, about 15 or 20 miles an hour for it to kick on initially. Um, once it does kick on, it, it sends the battery voltage and then starts sending the signals up to the monitor. Um, if you slow down or stop while you're riding, it's not going to go off. It's not going to turn off until you turn off the key. Um, and once you do that, it's going to cut the power to the sensors. And then, so you're not, you're not always replacing wheel sensor batteries. Now, um, to replace the batteries, what do you have to do? Uh, the sensor just comes apart. There's a couple tools included in the kit. Um, you, unscrew the sensor caps and there's one of those uh cr1632 batteries in each sensor just slide it out put the other one in there a replacement comes with the kit and screw the plastic caps back together and throw them back on your valve stem now the the programming for this when you when you get this unit how difficult is it to set up well if, if you're like me, it, it can be difficult because I have a hard time setting up my uh, my watch, mm. digital watch. But you probably um, never mastered the VCR, did you? <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> you know, mo- most most people these days have no issue can can nail it down the first time with, without a problem. There is a default in the system to where if you if you get it screwed up, you can go back and hit default real quick and and get it back to the factory settings. Um, it's the type of thing that, for me, it's a little difficult just going through and setting it up that initial time. I've got to follow the instructions very closely. But my my 16-year-old son went out there and, with no instructions, was able to set it up and be done with it, um, <laughs> basically with no no instruction at all. So I think it's a matter of where what your background is and that type of thing. But it, it is a lot like setting up, uh, like I say, a, a digital watch or something like that. But what are your settings that you're adjusting? Uh, your setting, you can switch between um, bar or PSI. You can set your... Front tire, um, low and high limits. So you can have that, say if you are an off-road rider and you want to set your front tire um, to 10 PSI, that's when the alarm will go off. So say you're running at like 16 PSI on your tire and sometimes you, you fluctuate that, uh, that front tire pressure based on where you're riding. Um, you can set that low limit at 10 PSI and that, that way you know, okay, if it ever goes down to 10 PSI, I'm going to get the alarm. What the alarm is, is a bright white or excuse me, a bright red light. And it's also got an audible. Now, honestly, with your helmet on and all that going down the road at speed, you're probably not going to hear the audible, but you'll definitely will see that flashing red light. Um, by the same token, you you can set the high limit as well. And usually I just run that all the way up. Uh, it's capable of going up to 50 PSI. Um, and I find it's best to, to just run that all the way to the top. The low level is really what you want to be worried about in both the front and the rear tires. Um, and then, of course, you it'll, it'll read bar as well. Right now, it is only doing Celsius for a temperature. Our next version that is coming out, uh, oh, it should be later this summer, will be Fahrenheit and Celsius. Mm-hmm. Will it be upgradable for the one that's out now? Unfortunately, it won't. It's in the display that, uh, that we have to make the change. Right. 
Okay, and now the, the unit that goes onto the valve stem, that's just a cap that screws onto the valve stem. Any precautions? Because you're saying you're running it on your 990. That was my thought process. I've got this big, heavy thing on my valve stem. I do know in the instructions somewhere I, I saw that you said you recommend um, steel valve stems. Yeah, that's – and luckily most bikes today are steel valve stems, any of the tube bikes and, you know, anything. Most bikes are, are steel. Now – that's a little bit to cover our cover our butts, to be honest. When we tested this, we we tested it for over a year on our personal autos because living in the Northwest, quite frankly, we don't ride our bikes every day. We, I'd love to say we do, but the fact is we don't. It rains a lot, and I don't want to get on my bike to to go, you know, ten miles to work or whatever, and get all geared up and all that when it's pouring down rain. Um, so we put them on our cars so that we could test the, the, how everything was working was, was all our systems doing its correct thing and all that. Our cars run a rubber valve stems and they're at an angle. So those same sensors that we originally put on some of the cars are still on there, um, today and we've never had an issue. So the, the whole metal valve stem is something that we just wanted to make people aware of. Um, I've never seen one, a rubber valve stem crack or anything like that, but, uh, you know, it's food for thought to think that a metal one's going to hold up, hold up a little bit better when you put a little bit of weight on it. And you think these things are fine for adventure bikes then? Absolutely. Absolutely. Daryl, thank you very much. It was great to talk to you, uh, and I and appreciate the chance to check out uh, your tire pressure monitoring system. Well, thank you very much, sir. We certainly certainly appreciate the uh, the invite, and um, if there's anything else we can ever do for you, please just say the word. That was... Daryl Van Neuenhaus from Cyclops Adventure Sports talking about the tire pressure monitor system that they have um, under their brand name. And uh, it's quite a nice unit. It's, it's the one I have mounted on my bike right now. I really like it. I like the fact that it's wired in in particular for my use. And I like the display on it, the little alarm on it. Uh, Daryl said the alarm is not super loud, but I found it to be loud for slow speed riding. You can find out more about the system that they offer at their website, cyclopsadventuresports.com. Uh, the link is in the show notes, as well as, as some photos and some more information about this unit. But stick around, because coming up in a minute, we're going to talk about the other unit, which is the battery-operated one from Fit2Go. Stay with us. Road Dog Publications is a publisher of motorcycle travel books. They've just put out another new book, this time by Zoe Cano. This is her fourth book called Hellbent for Paradise. It's a story about Zoe's exploration of New Zealand, and apparently it's quite harrowing. She runs into some, some issues, adventure, I guess you could say. She meets a lot of interesting people along the way. That book is available everywhere books are sold, as well as directly through Road Dog Publications, as in all their books. Road Dog has a whole bunch of motorcycle stories that they publish, including Graham Field's books. Uh, even the publisher, Mike Fitterling, he's got a few books out of his own. Uh, Jackie Furnow's Hit the Road Jack. And the one that I'm reading right now is called The Wrong Way Round, How Not to Travel to Burma by Motorcycle by Andy Benfield. And I'm really enjoying this book. Uh, Andy's published also by Road Dog Publication, available anywhere books are sold. And if you want to buy directly from them, it's RoadDogPub.com. RoadDogPub.com. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, make sure you let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. If you're riding a large adventure bike that sees a, a lot of fire roads or, or gravel, that sort of thing, maybe you do a fair bit of standing up, then you should have a look at the IMS Products ADV-1 and ADV-2 foot pegs. These are large pegs that give you a comfortable platform for those long highway stretches. And then when you get into those fire roads where you need to stand up, well, those pegs are the ones that are going to give you that added leverage and stability that keeps you in control of the bike, not the other way around. Those are the largest pegs that IMS makes, but they've got a full line of pegs right from there on down to much smaller ones, depending on your intended use for adventure motorcycles. Drop by their website, imsproducts.com, and see why riders like me absolutely love IMS pegs. Tough, 
reliable, and precise. Just give yourself the tools you need to get the most out of your ride. Made in the USA, warrantied for life. IMSproducts.com. Don't forget, when you're talking to them, mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Another version of a tire pressure monitoring system I tried is um, by fit to go It's called the Michelin Motorbike Tire Pressure Management System. And um, it's easy to install, uh, just like the Cyclops version. The, the difference with this one is it doesn't wire in. It's battery operated. Now, I think the strong points for this unit is that the sensors, you just screw them on like the Cyclops version. And then the readout or the screen or the LCD screen that you're looking at, it just sticks into a, a base with magnets, so magnetically uh, attached to its base, and the base you just put on with double-sided tape somewhere on your motorcycle. So the nice thing about this is if you're parking in places where you're worried about any sort of little gauge or something being a, an attraction for someone to try and steal, this one, you just lift it out, throw it in your pocket, take it with you, and you don't have to worry about it. So that's quite nice about it. It's also really simple to set up. To calibrate it or to, or to set it, there's there's no actual buttons to press on it or anything like that. You just pump the tires up to what they should be at, cold. Then you screw on the sensors and you pop the little LCD display into the magnetic holder and away it goes. And it automatically calibrates itself. It automatically calibrates when it's going to set off your low pressure alarms. Um, both of those units, by the way, if the, if the pressure starts to decrease rapidly, they have an alarm that senses it and goes off. I haven't heard the alarm on this Michelin unit but um, anyway, it has it there, and I think there's a, a visual alert as well, a little uh, part of the LED, uh, LCD rather, thing that lights up at you. Now, one of the things I, I liked about it, like I said, is, is that it's it's removable. I, and I said before, I'm not really into the batteries. I don't. I like things that are wired in for me, for my use. But if you live in the city, you might have a completely different idea. Now, one of the good things about this is the battery uh, lasts. They're, they're saying from the manufacturer three months. Oh, that's a that's a real long time. It also has a battery level indicator on the screen. Now, this screen is it's a it's a small thing that fits in your hand. It's round and it displays one pressure at a time and alternates back and forth with an indicator showing what tire pressure it's showing, front or rear. I prefer to see both pressures at once, but if you did that, you'd have to make a larger screen or you'd have to make smaller uh, displays. Like so the numbers would have to be smaller on the screen, which obviously you don't want on the motorcycle. But it works fine the way it is. It, it goes back and forth from one to the other and sort of works without any muss or fuss. It's called the Michelin Motorbike Tire Pressure Management System. It comes out of the UK. It's by a company called Fit2Go. The website is fit2gopms.com. And of course, as usual, that link will be in our show notes. She's 60 years old, a mother, a grandmother, works at marketing by day, but she has her eye on the road, the place that she plans to be living in a couple of years' time. But unlike what many imagine an adventure bike to look like, Chris is riding an 1800cc Indian Chief decked out with custom leather seats, panniers, tassels, not to mention a very unique paint scheme. And she says it's a great conversation starter. I'm Chris Keeble. I'm from Sydney, Australia, and also the Blue Mountains. I live in both places. And I'm a writer, producer of shows, and a sort of a marketing brand strategist, and of course, a, a uh, passionate motorbike rider. Hey, Chris, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Jim. It's great to be here. Sydney and the Blue Mountains, just for those who don't know, what's the Blue Mountains <laughs> of Australia? Okay, well, that's about an hour and a half west of Sydney as you're climbing the mountain. So it's part of the, the dividing range. There's a big range of mountains that separates, I guess, the coastal uh, eastern seaboard of Australia. And then once you cross the ranges, you're into start starting to go into the outback, I guess, and the flatter country. So, so what do you have, a cabin? 
Yes, I do. Well, yeah, I do actually. It is like a, it is like a big log cabin. Um, it's a property there that my daughter and her family sort of rent that from me, but I've built like a granny flat on the end. I, I, sorry, I don't call it a granny flat. I call it a lodge. <laughs> I was surprised to hear that word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say granny flat. It's called a lot. Over here, we call them granny flats, but I call it the lodge. So it's a little two-bedroom sort of extension to this cabin. So I go up there um, at least once a week and uh, see my granddaughters. And also my parents live in the Blue Mountains, so it's a good opportunity for me to touch base. They're quite elderly now, so I help them out a little bit. And um, But I'm generally based in a place called Newtown in Sydney, which is a very um, crazy alternative type of uh, suburb of, of Sydney. Alternative, like like an art sort of area? Yeah, it's very artsy. Yeah. Nice. So it's got a real mix a mix of people, but it's because um, I'm right near a university and a hospital. So it's a very eclectic uh, community here, but it's also um, yeah, very focused on the arts and and those type of creative people, I guess, which I like to think I'm one of them. You've been riding since, what, your 20s? Oh, yeah, my 20s, yeah. My um, husband at the time uh, rode a motorbike and I really detested being a pillion. So I got my license and, you know, rode for the first uh, – over here you had to ride for like six months on something un- like around a 250cc. So I got a little 250cc Suzuki thing and it was all pieced together and it it really it fell to bits the day I just – you know, the six-month mark, it's like it, it knew. It knew that its time had come and it just all fell to bits. But that was okay because I then went up and bought a bigger bike and – and then I've just got bigger and bigger and bigger, ridiculously big. I mean, I'm riding a, a bike now that's over 400 kilos. Like, it's crazy. But I don't know what it is about, you know, just keep getting bigger and bigger. I don't think there's much bigger I can go unless I move into the gold wings or something, which I'm not going to do. So I'm just, this is it now. You said you got sick of riding on the back of your husband's bike. Was that your motivation yep. to get the ride? Like, did you feel the the need to ride or was it just to get out from behind him? Oh, no, I felt that I loved the feeling of being out there. But what I didn't like as being a pillion is the no control. Like there was no, I had no control of what was happening and I wanted to be the one that controlled the bike and, and um, be on my own. And, I, you know, I, I do love riding on my own. I don't even really like riding with too many other people. <laughs> Maybe that's why he's left me. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to be alone. He's gone, but the bikes have remained. Yeah, yeah. My love affair with bikes has, has stayed the same. So, yeah, I've loved it. I love riding. You're now um, 60 years old. I think yes. March. March, you just turned 60. March. Yeah, March the 6th, yeah. Uh, yeah young I, 60. I went, a young 60, yeah. But, I, you know, I treated myself to a ride around the North Island of New Zealand um, on, on an Indian Springfield bike. So it's difficult to take my bike anywhere. And that's why I think I'm probably a little bit different to a lot of your listeners, perhaps, you know, with, I, I, I don't have an adventure bike, but I would, I mean, gee, I would love to get one because I think I, knowing, looking back at how I used to ride the little Sportster, I think I'd go pretty good on an adventure bike actually. So maybe that's on the cards. But uh, my bike is just too cumbersome to, to transport. So I pick up bikes, whatever country I go to, I, I pick up a bike. Well, that can save a lot of hassle too. I mean, as far as mm. shipping your bike and all the delays, et cetera. But what, what kind of riding have you done? Like you, you started out obviously riding street stuff. Did you start off riding long distance? Uh, yeah, I, there was a couple of guys in my world that had bikes, bigger bikes, and they just invited me along. So, And they were serious riders. And I think I, my skills just um, improved so much with those guys because they were fast and long distance riders. I mean, we would do – you know, th- their idea of breakfast was let's get 300 Ks under our belt and we'll have breakfast. <laughs> uh, they, they'd go all day and, you know, I've done trips to America with them and they're relentless. They'd, we'd be off at 7 in the morning and be pulling in at nightfall with, you know, the only stops would be for fuel and, a, you know, a quick, in my case, a quick ice cream. I just needed something to give me the more energy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so serious, serious riding really from – when I jumped onto the, even on the sports, I used to do some long distances and, uh, you know, I would always be the one that would run out of fuel and because my tank was a bit smaller than theirs. But uh, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fairly long distance rider. And uh, even now, like tomorrow, I head off 
to a place called Broken Hill, which will take me uh, two days riding to get to, and some you know serious outback stuff there, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. Just to so to answer that question, I I've been I ride long distances, but as well I do. I do short stuff. You know, if the guys aren't riding or I haven't or I haven't got the time to do overnighters or go really far, I, I'm always pushing myself to come up with ideas to to force me to get out of my comfort zone. So if I've only got, say, one day of uh, available to me because I'm either working or touring a show, I will come up with something like, okay, day, today, Chris, you're going to um, visit – churches, for instance. And I will just ride around to as far as I can go looking for churches. And I just take pictures of me and the bike in front of a church. And I've done graveyards. And then sometimes I'll do, today's ride is going to be about the color blue. So that means I might just go to the coastal regions and just take pictures of interesting beaches and things like that. So I I give myself themes to follow for the day and off I go and I just go searching for whatever that theme is and then I collect a whole bunch of little interesting pictures and put together a little, you know, one-minute Instagram clip and, again, use the music of original singer-songwriters, which is another part of my world, as the bed and uh, I feel very satisfied because it pushes me to go to places that I probably may not have thought to go to and I find myself in some sticky situations as well with – you know, I've been up a dirt road and thinking, God, how am I going to turn this bloody thing around? It's massive <laughs> and there's no one to help me. And it's like, yeah, but I managed to find a way. So I found myself in mud trails, you know, in the middle of thunderstorms. But it's all part of, it's all part of the experience and growing and getting a bit, becoming a better rider and also becoming braver. Theme trips. I love theme trips because the, the idea of that, I mean, it's, it's first of all, it gives you something to do when you head out, but also it, it does lead you. I mean, like you said, you find yourself in all kinds of situations where you you, you yep. discover things. I guess you're finding adventure really, aren't you? Absolutely. I mean, I've, you know, the things I find and the people I meet as well, because I, I you know, I roll into town. I've just, I think one of the last ones I did was all about cows. Uh, you know, I really like cows, even though my bike is covered in dead cow with all the leather that I have. I love cows. I love the country. I love country scenes. So, and you know, I roll into these little country towns and pull up at the pub, and you know, the bike itself gathers so much attention that people can't help but sort of ask questions. You know, what have you done here? This is really interesting. Or, you know, it also polarizes people. Some people can't believe what I've done to that bike but it's not meant to be everybody's cup of tea all it's meant to do as any marketeer will tell you is to create a reaction and uh, that bike certainly gets a reaction wherever I go but it does introduce me to a whole bunch of people what is the bike it's a chief vintage um Indian Indian chief vintage but I've bespoked it within an inch of its life like I've really customized it ridiculously it's got well, a for those blade. who don't know the, yeah. describe the Indian chief as it, as it comes from the factory oh okay well the Indian chief um the vintage one because there's the chief classic but the vintage comes with all that uh leather bags of the the fringing bags and all that brown tan leather. I'm sure your listeners will be familiar with. That's the sort of the a, a bit of a standard traditional look of an Indian motorbike to have all that leather seat bags with the fringing and the tassels. So that's the cheap vintage. So I bought a stock cheap vintage that was just a plain black one. Yeah, it's and a, it's I, a I chose, very cool looking bike. Like a, a classic. It, it's got a classic look. It looks retro, sort of really. Yeah. You know, with that and absolutely, look. yeah. The covered yep, side fenders, the sides of the fenders. Yes. Yep, all that beautiful. And but I just got a plain black one. I mean, they've got some beautiful colours in the in uh, the Indian. You know, they've got this the willow and a cream, which looks really retro. They got and the Indian red is just delightful. But I didn't want to buy one of those because I'd like them too much. I knew I wouldn't start changing things if I bought um, those beautiful coloured ones. So I just got a plain black one because you know. I wanted I, – I would change that. So it was just a plain black chief vintage uh, uh, bike. They're, they're big. I mean, they're eight, 1,800 cc's, so they're a big bike. It's the biggest bike I've ever had. 
and so then I started, I had it clearly in my mind the look I wanted and I wanted to go for a very equestrian steampunk vibe. And that's when the, the party began, I guess. <laughs> I keep adding to it all the time. Like it's just, I, you know, I think I've added 100 kilos <laughs> since I got it. <laughs> and I've the bike a, already weighs, you know, all, what, uh, 880, already, or sorry, 880 pounds, 400 kilograms, somewhere on there? Yes. And you've added since then? For me, anyway. I mean, I'm a 70 kilo woman. Yeah, I've had, well, the first thing I did was I, uh, I searched for, I wanted a, a rusted, um, look, I wanted it to look like it had been sitting in a, a garage for the last 70 years and someone just, you know, the American pickers came along and found it. So I wanted that um, really rusted look. So eventually I, I got the effect I wanted through a wrap. So it's a vinyl wrap over it. No, no the spray painters couldn't achieve what I wanted. So I found it in wrapping the bike mm. and it's got a really cool design. The guy I work with on that did a fabulous job and you know, even the Indian headdress logo on the side of the tank's got rust dripping from it. It's all, it's looking like it's rusted. So it looks really lovely. It, it sort of looks Hollywood-like almost. Hollywood? Like, well, this, yeah, it looks like something you'd see out of a Hollywood movie. I mean, like, we're going to put, oh, we're going to put a bunch like of Like an photos. old Western? Yeah, like an old Western. Yeah. Yeah, something like that, you know, I mean, yeah. if, you, if you put it in That's black great. and white. You could see yeah. it. You know, it has that sort of, it's got a real deep character to it. And we're going to put a bunch of photos yep. in the show notes yep. of this. Yep. But I mean, yeah, you've got a, you've got a bunch of tassels hanging off it. Um, probably nothing very practical as far as no, the changes you've no. gone. You've, oh you've my done. God, no, Jim, I'm not practical at all. You know, no, <laughs> why? I'm not going to, no. Oh, practical's boring. I've got to be a bit brave and crazy here. Well, the, so this, the, the, yeah, go on. I was going to say, well, that's one thing that I kind of like about it is that, you know, here you are, you're riding it. You're, it's an adventure bike. I mean, I don't care what it yeah. looks like. It's a bike that takes you on adventures, but yeah. you have none of the trappings, none of the trappings that people will think of when they traditionally think of an adventure bike. I mean, here you are, you're going off, you're doing these adventures, you're riding all over the place by yourself and with other people. You're doing yep. all the same things, but your bike is completely different. It it, <laughs> it looks like a bit of a showpiece. Oh, is that, I've been accused of being a show pony. Well, no, Sherlock, you know, like it's, uh, I haven't gone to all that trouble. You know, I freely admit that the bike is not everyone's taste and it's over the top. And when I go to bike, I get invited to bike shows. They want, cause they, everyone thinks it's crazy. And, you know, I can, you know, I can hear these purists in the background, you know, shaking their head going, oh, what the bloody hell has she done to that? But, you know, it's, that it, it is what it is. It's just, you know, it is over the top. But uh, it's so much fun and it puts a smile on people's faces. And, you know, I love pulling into towns and people gathering around it. And if there's any kids around, you know, I say, come on, get up on the saddle. Let's have a little, you know, get a picture of you on the saddle. It's, it's great. And, you know, I, I'm not precious at all about people sitting on it. You know, I, I want people to sort of admire it because I've put a lot of work and effort into it, even though it is a bit crazy. Well, I think it's to each their own. I mean, you get yeah. uh, you get the chopper styles, which are, you know, many people are not into those, but those that are into it love yeah. them. And, and same as the yeah. adventure bikes. Some of the big adventure bikes with all the gear, you get the R1200GS with all the bars on it yeah. and everything. I mean, people, some people will laugh at those and think, oh my God, that yeah. looks horrible, but to each their own. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's it's part of a story and it's part of my story. You know, I'm, I'm known for being a little bit, I guess, um, eccentric. So there you go. You're sort of working on on traveling the world. Mm-hmm. I'm on training wheels right now. <laughs> what does that mean? So that means um, my plan is to travel the world and be of no fixed address. But I I look at myself as being on what I call my training wheels at the moment. And there's a number of reasons why I can't I can't go just yet. Number one is that my grandchildren are two and four, and I miss them too much, and I'm a big part of their lives. But uh, once children start school, they start finding their own independence, so I can scoot away more so then. And then I have my shows that are touring, so I've got another couple of years of some tours coming up of that. And also, um, I guess financially, I just want to set myself up so when I do travel, I can um, – I don't mind roughing it in most places, but um, I, I just want to know financially that everything's a little bit okay. So. You know, I will look at renting my place out in Sydney, so that will be my income, for want of a better word. And then, you know, my children are all settled. So, and so the next two to three years is my training time. So, 
the more trips I do on my own, uh, the more adventures I go on just doing my own thing and finding myself in tricky situations. It's all part of the experience that I think I'm, will come in handy. And it also gives me the confidence, I guess, to be brave to do that. I mean, uh, this, the, this tomorrow I'm riding to Broken Hill, which will be two days on my own out in, in some cases, the middle of nowhere. I mean, there's a long stretch of stretches of roads in the outback that have no reception you know, you're just on your own and, you know, there's a bit of wildlife around. But, you know, people have been taken out by kangaroos and emus. They're crazy, those those creatures. They've got no brain between their ears. But they just jump. They just seem to wait for vehicles and then they just jump at you. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we have every, deer that do the same thing yeah. <laughs> where I live. And you have to be – as a matter of fact, riding here at dusk is, is very, very dangerous yeah, because same. there's so many deer. Yeah, we're the same. And, you know, the amount of people that – taken out by kangaroos I, i've actually been on a ride where i've, I've hit a kangaroo and I, I managed to keep upright and but the roo didn't fare too well but it was i was just riding around this mountain and it was a, on my left it was a sheer drop and on my right was the side of the mountain and i it was coming around and i saw this kangaroo jumping down I, i'm thinking mate you better either hurry up or stop because i'm pulling up the bike at this point i'm slowing down but you know how it is when you're looking at something? <laughs> you Fixation. Just hit it. Yeah. You just hit it. And it just caught my front my front wheel and um, buckled a few things. But I managed to keep the bike upright and the roo just rolled down the cliff. I don't know how it ended up, but it shook me up a bit. So I've had experience with wildlife for sure, birds, kangaroos. I should get a bit of a board up maybe and I'll just tick them off as I knock them over. <laughs> <laughs> when you're so you, you as as building up to travel sort of around the world, you, you mentioned that yeah. you've been to the states. Where else have you been? Um, UK uh, in um, England, and well, that was where my uh, ex husband was from. So I lived there for a little while. So we rode a little bit in England. I mean, the distances are shorter there, and the weather's not as kind. So there's lots of short bursts there. And uh, but I wasn't. I was only on small bikes in the UK because that was way back in the early days. I, I've ridden about six times in the States. I, I, I really love riding in America. I, my, I plan to do it um, Canada as well in the not-too-distant future. So every two years I try and do an overseas trip. New Zealand was great for my 60th birthday. Nice. Um, I, but there's so much to do in Australia as well. There is so much um, to explore in this country. We've got some magnificent um, places to ride and to explore with. So I think my plan will be in maybe two years' time to circumnavigate Australia and go around and inland and spend maybe a good year on the road um, travelling Australia. Uh, and then um, then what I'd like to do is, is sort of examine other parts of the world. I don't know that I can ever take my bike with me. So it will be arrive in a, arrive in a country and then find a bike that's going to suit what I where I want to go. So it could be a whole collection of bikes. Like for instance, if I do India and Pakistan, I'll get on a Royal Enfield. And I had a Royal Enfield 500 bullet there for a few years and that was a lot of fun. So I'm familiar with those bikes. So so I think I'd just get a bike that's going to suit my riding and the country and just make it a, hot, a bit easier than shipping my bike all over the place. And it's sort of bite-sized adventures at that point. Then you're 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 figuring yes. one spot, you you do that, and then you move on to another yes. spot. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like you've got it all worked out for yourself for for working up to retirement, Chris. It was great to talk to you. Thank you very much, and good luck on your adventures. Thank you so much for uh, having the chat with me. It's been great, and uh, love your podcast. And you know, I learn so much from listening to all your listeners' stories. That you, I, mean, I learn so much. And I get a lot from it. So thank you. It's been great. It's really helped me. Well, that was Chris Keeble. And um, you've, you've got to drop by the show notes for this episode and look at some of the photos that she sent us of her bike. You're not going to believe it, really. It's, it's something that has to be seen to be appreciated. Her website, theaussietheindian.com. Of course, that link will be in our show notes as usual.
You know, it's really great to have the support of these sponsors that help bring this episode to you. One is Max BMW at maxbmw.com, Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com, and Green Chili Adventure Gear at greenchiliadv.com. And anytime you're dealing with them, make sure you throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio because they're really a huge part of what's bringing the show to you. This and, of course, listener support. And if you're not supporting the show, you're listening to it all the time, why not drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on the support button. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener, thank you very much for being a part of this. My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. See you next week. Hi, this is Tom Metama with the Rally for Rangers Foundation, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 